So we're going through, and actually the message is we're going to finish up the series next weekend. Um, what we've been doing, it, it may be your first time here, or you've only been here a couple of times. So we've been going through the letters or the epistles of the New Testament. So we, you know we have the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have the book of Acts, that's a more historical narrative. And um, then we come to, uh, well, the, the last book is the book of Revelation, which is kind of apocalyptic, it's very cryptic, it's you know, a lot of symbols, it's difficult to understand sometimes. But then in between, we have all these letters or epistles, like Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then last week, we talked about 1st John, and then this week, we're going to talk about, I'm gonna, we're going to cheat, we're going to do 2nd and 3rd John together. And then next week is Jude, so we'll be done with that series. And then I'll tell you in, a, in just a little bit where we're going to go from there. Anyway, uh, these letters were written, some by Paul. These, the ones we're looking at, are by the Apostle John. And he's also the one who wrote the Gospel of John. But today, we want to look at a, really one topic that we want to walk away with. And that is the idea that um, we've all had leaders, right? We've all had teachers or parents or coaches or bosses at work who have either been good or bad leaders, right? And we kind of know that they were good or bad leaders because we, we experienced it, right? And it was either good or it was bad. Some were kind of like, eh, whatever. But, you know, we know some bad leaders, right? And, Paul, and John, what he's going to do is he's going to talk about the characteristics of, you know, some bad leader characteristics. The interesting thing about John is John is basically going to show us and, and the reason it's important for us is because he's going to say, within the church, you should look for a certain kind of leader. And he's going to give us some traits. And so we want to look at that. So um, if you would, turn to, in your Bibles, towards the end, to Second uh, and Third John. And what I want to do is just talk a little bit about the message. I want to give you an overview of Second and Third John. So essentially, you could throw First John in there too, because essentially they have a similar purpose. And the purpose was this, continue in what you've been taught, be, be obedient to God in his leading, follow him, love your brothers and sisters, and then the, on the negative side, be aware that there's false teachers out there. You've got to watch out for the false teachers because they're out there, okay? So that's essentially what, what um, 1 John is, is, is all about. Um, Positively, he's saying some things, but then he's saying, but watch out for those, those false teachers. Now, one of the things we didn't talk about through all of this series, and this is really important. So the nation of Israel was really under Roman rule. Rome was the world power. And so the, the Jewish people and all the other peoples were under the Romans. And the Romans could be overbearing, and they were difficult, and especially for the early Christians. But the one, you know, one of the things the Romans did was they were builders, and they built roads. And the Roman roads were really, really important because what they did is they provided ways for commerce to go back and forth in a much quicker, easier way. Um, and also it provided protection. So it provided a way for the Apostle Paul and the other evangelists and missionaries to take the gospel to the very ends of the known world at that time. It was very helpful for the roads there. So Paul is doing these journeys, but he's doing it, you know, on roads where, you know, not all the time, but a lot of the time he's on, you know, Roman roads doing this. 
And you can still see, because many, many of the roads, highways today were started with Roman roads. And, you know, I was just thinking, in our, in our country, uh, the, the development of the interstate highway just tra- changed and transformed our world, you know, as we know it. Because it used to be, when I was a kid, it seemed like, and I used to live in Olean, New York, it's on the uh, south on the Pennsylvania border, south of Buffalo. When we traveled to Buffalo, it just seemed like, man, that was such a long trip, like all day. Now you can go up there, and it's like an hour and a half up, hour and a half back. You do it in the morning, and it's nothing. It's all straight roads, not windy roads. And that's kind of what happened. That's, what the, that's why the Roman roads were so important. They provided safety. They provided a way to transport goods and services much quicker. And it provided a path for the evangelists to propagate the gospel. The gospel spread through all the world, and a lot of it was because of the, the Roman roads. The other thing that, that we want to talk about that's kind of tied in with that, that we, didn't get a, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about, is hospitality. So hospitality was a really important thing in that day. So the traveling evangelists like Paul and the pastors and the missionaries, obviously they didn't have a Motel 6 or, a, you know, uh, these other... Ch- change so they had to find a place to stay so many of them would rely upon christian brothers and sisters along the way and they would stay at their homes and and they would um give them food and they would stay overnight and it was a way it was the only way you know for them many times to stay in a in a in a nicer place and 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 have food and things along those lines and so paul says something very interesting and you could just listen. It says this. Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Now, what we tend to do is we apply it to today. And we say, well, how do I? Well, I have my friends over, my Christian friends over, and practice hospitality. And that's one thing to do. But that's not what we're talking about here. And we really need to think about, well, how do we actually apply hospitality? So if you're in a life group today, maybe one of the questions you could ask is, Okay, how does that first, second century hospitality, how does that apply to our lives today? And what does it look like? Because in Hebrews, it says something very interesting, too, about hospitality. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's a weird verse, isn't it? Think about this. You get to heaven one day, and an angel walks up and says, hey, by the way, that thanks so much for the day that you, you know, you, you let me stay at your place. You know, it's like, really? That's crazy. Um, so in the, in the first century, some would abuse this hospitality. And so uh, there was this first century document called the Didache. And it was basically kind of one of those things to, you know, it was kind of a catechism. It wasn't really a catechism, but it was a document to help Christians know, what do I do in this situation? And they had different sections. And one of the sections I want to read you is on hospitality because I think it's kind of interesting. Let me read it to you. So this is the Didache, it's probably from the first century, and it gave the Christian church, the early church, uh, direction. And it says this, But concerning the apostles and prophets, according to the decree of the gospel, thus do. In other words, this is what you should do. This is how you should help them out, the apostles and prophets. Let every apostle that comes to you be received as the Lord, but, do not, but he shall not remain except one day. But if there is a need, also the next. But if he remains three days, 
he's a false prophet. It's like, really? I mean, I think this is where that overstay your welcome kind of comes in. Okay, when are you leaving? You know, you've been here for two days. You made an excuse for that one, but three days. And they're saying, yeah, after three days, kick him out. And then it says, and when the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread. In other words, give them bread until he lodges. But if he asks money, he's a false prophet. <laughs> now that's very interesting and practical advice. In other words, what they're saying is this. Show hospitality, but be discerning. Because there's some shuck you know, some people out there that, that are going to try to take you for a ride. They're going to pose. They're, gonna, they're posers, and they're going to pose as traveling evangelists, but they're just they're out there for, for what they can get. Uh, so Christians were instructed to, to show no hospitality for false teachers. In fact, Second John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. So if somebody is bringing a false teaching, you're not supposed to show them hospitality. So this was a big deal back then. Showing hospitality was a big deal. And again, I don't know how we exactly apply it today, but it, it, it's very interesting. Um, the other thing we want to talk about in, is what John just talked about is false teachers. And remember we said 2nd and 3rd John, actually 1st John 2 talks about be wary, there's false teachers out there, and you need to be able to discern them. Now, <clears throat> some teachers taught that uh, false teachers in that day, and I think it's true today, there are false teachers in the church today. We'll see, if, you know, Jesus talks about that. There are some false teachers today that are, False teachers, because they're deluded. They really think that they've gotten the word from God, but they haven't gotten the word from God. They, they're just nuts, okay? Oh, sorry, they're just nuts. Then there's some that know they're not, a, they're not telling the truth, but they're, they're playing a game. They're getting an audience. They're, they know that they're not getting a message from God, but they're, they're using it. They're deceptive, okay? And Jesus warns us to, to, to um, watch out for them. In Mark chapter 13, notice what he says. This is Mark 13, verse 22 and 23. He says this. this is, these are the words of Jesus. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So Jesus says, right now, during our time, there are false teachers and false prophets that are showing signs and wonders. They're doing miracles. They're doing things that you can't explain. It just seems like, and they say, God gave me this gift to whatever it is. And they do this stuff. And you know what? Jesus said, don't fall for it. Because you know what many of them are doing? They're teaching false doctrine. And we are suckers for a sign. We see signs and wonders and we go, oh boy, they must be of God. I'm sorry, can I just say it's possible that it may be empowered by the prince of the darkness? 
Because if they're teaching false doctrine and doing that, then it's absolutely true that they're, do, they're, getting, they're not getting their power from God. And the question is, do they have the power? The question is, where's the power coming from? And what is the message that they're bringing? I remember reading a book a number of years ago where the author, who was a signs and wonder pastor, still in ministry today, Basically, was, you know, doing all the healing and doing all these signs and wonders things. And I'm not making a general statement about all that. I'm just telling you about this situation. He, he wrote a book, and he said, when he described the Trinity, he said there's three fathers, there's three sons, and there's three spirits. Well, that seems like nine to me last time I checked. That's not a Trinity. I don't know what the, the nine word is. But there was actually a publisher that published his book about the Holy Spirit, and it was about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit being three persons. Now, they went back because somebody went up to the publisher and to the author and said, you know, what you just taught is heresy, false doctrine. Oh, okay, we'll change it. And they fixed it. I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled that a publisher, a Christian publisher, published those words. But Jesus said, expect that. You're going to see a lot of it. All right, so um, what was the heresy? What was the false teaching that was John was specifically referring to? Because he writes about it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Well, there were false teachers that were going around teaching that there was no incarnation. Now, what's the incarnation? The incarnation is just a big theological word, and it means God became man, or God took upon himself human flesh, all right? So they denied that. They said Jesus didn't have real human flesh. He was a phantom. He was a ghost. He was a spirit, but he wasn't a man. So I want you just to jump back to 1 John for a minute because I've been, I made a reference to this, but I want to show you from the passage. By the way, you need to be good Bereans, every one of you. And those watching, you need to be good Bereans. What were the Bereans? They were the ones that when they listened to Paul's teaching, they said, where is it written? Where is it written? See, we don't listen to councils. We don't listen to a pope. We listen to what the Word of God says. And if somebody comes along, even if they perform signs and wonders, but they violate the teachings of God's Word, then we've got to say, no, I choose God's Word over you. Look at what John says. What's the, what does he say here? This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now, he's talking about Jesus here. We saw him, we, we, we saw him with our eyes, we heard him. We looked at him, and our hands have touched. What's John doing here? He's saying, we grabbed a hold of him. He was no phantom or spirit. He was a physical person. Now, why does John do that? John's doing that because he's, he's writing against the heretics of his day that were denying the incarnation, that God became man. So, I think it's really important that, you know, one of the things, as a free church, what we say is, where is it written? Where is it written? Where is it written? 
And so John basically says, you know, there's false teachers out there saying that Jesus came as a phantom, he came as a spirit, and John says, no, he came as a person. We saw him, we heard him, we talked to him, we grabbed him. And the Greek kind of says, we kind of grabbed a hold of him, <laughs> you know? And we see times where that happened in Scripture, okay? All right, so what we want to do the rest of our time is just talk about what are some signs of a bad leader, and specifically within a church sometimes, right? Um, so turn to 2 John chapter 1. Let me start at verse 6. He writes this, As you have heard from the beginning... His command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, see this is the problem, have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked words. So the first trait of a bad leader is they claim superior knowledge from God. They say, God gave me knowledge that's beyond his word. If a pastor gets up there and says to you or teaches online and you're watching them and they're saying, God gave me a word and you know from Scripture that that contradicts what God has written down, then you need to run from that person. Because there are people out there, and you've heard them, I've heard them, who think they have a superior knowledge, that they have this special relationship with God, that God is giving out new revelation today, new information. The problem is when you run so far ahead of God, you lose God, and you lose Jesus Christ. Look at what uh, John says uh, in 1 John, and I think this will be up on the screen, 1 John 2.22, who is a liar... It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the, fa- the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son also has the Father. In other words, John is saying you can't have the Father without the Son. You can't have the Father without the Son. So the question is, do we still need Jesus? There are many people in the world today, some who are Christians, who say, we don't need Jesus. In fact, there's many ways to God. There's many paths to God. You've heard that, right? And we've just chosen one path, and we're going to get up on the mountain, and we're going to get to the top. We're going to say, oh, you came your way, I came my way. We all made it to the top of the mountain. We all made it to God, whatever that concept of God might be. You've probably heard that, right? The problem with that is that Christianity is very exclusive. Christianity claims that Jesus is God, and he is the only way to God. He's the only way to the Father. Jesus said this. These are his words in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you you do know him and have seen him. In other words, if you say there's many ways to God... 
And Jesus is a good rabbi and a good teacher, and he may be one path, but there's multiple paths. You have lost the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is very, very exclusive. It says there is only one path to the Father. That Jesus is God. That God became man. He incarnated. He became a man. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And that if we want to be with the Father, if we want to go to be with the Father, we go through the Son, through the cross, through His shed blood, through His sacrifice. That's the gospel. And there are many Christians out there today who are going to Christian churches and they're saying, we can have the Father, but we don't need the Son. He's a good example. He's a rabbi. But we really don't need Him any more than that. They've lost the gospel because when you lose the Son, when you lose Christ, you lose Christianity. So this is the first thing that we find about bad leaders within the church is number one, bad leaders run ahead of everyone else and they claim to have knowledge that no one else has. Secondly, look at uh, 1 John chapter 1, or excuse me, 3 John chapter 1, verse 9. I wrote to the church, by, by, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I came, uh, excuse me, when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So, the second thing we learn about bad leaders is they're not willing to play team, play with a team. They want to be the star of the show. They don't think they need other people. They think they have all the gifts that, they, that the church needs. And, and, and they don't play well with others, right? They, think, they, they want others around them, but they want others around them for what the others can give to them. And when they're done getting what they need, they cast them away. We'll talk more about that. But they're, they're not very good team leaders. And notice what it says about diatrophies. He, he loves to be first. And it wasn't just that he rejected to show hospitality, but that he told others not to show hospitality. It feels like he felt like he was in competition with others, leaders around him. So he wanted to eliminate the competition. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. Good leaders know that they have limited gifts, but others around them have gifts too. And they say, I want to leverage the gifts and the people around me so that we can be a team, so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. A lot of times where I'm weak, somebody else is strong. And good leaders understand that. Diotrephes rejected John's leadership and instruction and failed to show hospitality even to other leaders. And if that weren't enough, he encouraged them along a different path. He refused to welcome the brothers and encouraged others not to be good in their hospitality. Look at, uh, by the way, it's very interesting, 
because there's a balance between accepting people and rejecting people. And Scripture kind of points that out. Um, let me read this passage to you. You don't need to turn there, but write this down so you can look at it later. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11. Now, I want to just talk about this for a minute. Let me read it to you. Just listen, and then we'll talk about it. <clears throat> Paul is writing. He says this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swind and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, don't even eat with such people. Now, this is a very interesting thing. Do you catch what he's saying here? Paul is saying, and Christians do almost exactly the opposite of what this verse, this pastor says. Paul is saying there are lost people in the world who behave like lost people. They have an ethic that the world goes to and says, it doesn't matter if you sleep around, it doesn't matter if you're drunk, it doesn't matter if you're dishonest, you be you, you choose what you need to do. And he's saying, I'm not telling you to separate from those people because if you had to separate from those people, you, you'd have to leave the world, okay? What I am saying, though, is if a person, a brother or sister, claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility if they're living a life that is a life of debauchery, a life that's following the systems of this world. There's cheating, there's lying, there's just bad behavior, and you have a relationship with that person. You can't just look away and say, well, that's their life. I don't want to pry in. Because if they're truly your brother and sister and you have a relationship with them, you have a responsibility to sit down with them and say, hey, man, I see the wheels coming off in your life. What's going on? And have a hard conversation with them. So Paul's not saying alienate yourself from the world. He's saying if that were the case, you know, I want you to love the world. The, I want you to love people who are lost, who don't know Jesus yet. But I also want you to love your brothers and sisters, and they're very different applications of love. One is that you build bridges with the lost people of the world, and you don't condemn them on their behavior because that's not the biggest thing in their lives right now. The biggest thing in their life is they don't know Jesus. We as Christians want to lead with truth. We want to tell them, you are a sinner. Look at your ugly, terrible life. And I think Jesus says, lead with love, love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourself, lead with love, not with doctrine, but with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You still lead with love, but you still have a calling. Christians do the opposite. They want to alienate themselves from the lost world, and they want to overlook the sin of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it should be. And in, in these epistles, he mentions Gaius, who was kind and showed hospitality and found ways to serve others. Bad leaders are quick to point out the enemy. There's always an enemy. There's always somebody who's evil and bad. They're all about putting up walls and calling uh, people to choose sides. And that's, I've seen a lot of that in the Christian church, and it's too bad. But Diatropes 
he was one who slandered John. He he cold-shouldered traveling missionaries and excommunicated the loyal believers. And all because he loved himself and wanted preeminence. The point is this, that most of the time, what I see when there's problems within the local church, it really comes down to personal vanity and pride. Um, Most of the dissensions, divisions within the church today are due to pride, personal pride. Not in a good pride either. Let's look at the one more point here. So they're they, they teach, they run ahead, they have the special knowledge. Number two, they don't play as a team player. They want to be the star of the show. And then number three, look at uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 10. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing. This is Diatrophes, uh, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers Uh, He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. And the third thing that you see with a bad leader is they leave behind them broken, hurting people in their wake. Bad leaders hurt people. They use them up and then cast them aside. They care only about what they can contribute, whether it's money or some kind of talent they have. They don't love their people. They use them. They hurt them. And good leaders like Gaius and Demetrius were shining examples of leaders who led in with humility and a positive, uh, in a positive way. So we've talked a little bit about what is a bad leader, what's a good leader. There's a few characteristics. Three, let me give you three traits of a good leader. Number one, they have a good reputation. Demetrius had a good reputation everywhere he went. He was well spoken of. The question is, how do, speak, how do people speak of you when you're not there? Do you have a good reputation? Uh, number two, they keep their word. They keep their word. It's one thing to say, I'm going to do this, or I'll be there at this time, or whatever. It's another thing to do it, to carry it out. False promises, we, we, we have a lot of that, right? So, I think there's an election coming up here somewhere. The reason I know that is because I get mail every day. And every time I turn on the TV, I see the ads. And apparently, no matter who I vote for, I'm voting for Satan! <laughs> They're the worst person in the world. That's, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that you could even... this person. Why do we even let this person live? Because they're a the horrible person. And of course, you shouldn't vote for them, too. Good leaders keep their word. And, you know, unfortunately, whatever you want to say about politicians, they sometimes will make promises they know they can't keep, but they'll, they'll say whatever they have to to get elected. Good leaders don't do that. Good leaders sometimes say the hard things that you don't want to hear because they're not interested in being elected. They're interested in standing before God one day. And having him say, well done. And if you are a good leader, you're going to say things that people aren't going to like. They're going to take it the wrong way, and they're going to do that stuff. But you keep your words. The third thing is they recognize, they're recognized by other leaders. Gaius and Demetrius were spoken of well because they 
had a good reputation. And their peers appreciated them and loved them and cared for them. And, you know, my, my question is, do you have people around you that, you're, that are your colleagues? And if we were to ask your colleagues, what, tell me about them, what would they say about you? What would they say about you? Those are like just three quick traits of a good leader. Now, let me ask you a question. What's your next step? What's your next step? You may be here and you go, well, I'm not a leader. You are absolutely a leader. And I'll tell you, you're a leader because you have a job and people report to you and you're their boss. You're a leader because you're a parent and you have children and you're raising them. And they're looking at you and they're learning what is a leader. What is a good leader? What is a bad leader? Yeah, they call you mom and dad, but you're still a leader. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not old enough to be a leader. Yep, you know, but if you're, if you're a young person and, and um, you have, you know, you have brothers and sisters, you're a leader. You know why? Because they, they look at you, they watch you, and they learn from you. <laughs> they do. So I always get a kick when Ross gets up here and he starts talking about his kids. And you know you're getting older when you get up and you start talking about not your kids, but your grandkids, right? But I did notice something about my grandkids. And I kind of think I noticed it about all of them. Is the youngest ones watch the older ones and they learn from them. Good and bad things. Good and bad speech. So it doesn't matter whether you're just a kid or a young person. Your siblings, whether they're older or younger, are watching you. They're learning from you. So we're all, in a sense, leaders, aren't we, if we're honest? At work, at home, parents, you have a sphere of influence. Somebody is always watching. Someone is always watching. And I want to ask, what kind of wake are you leaving? You know, you go behind a boat and sometimes... It's a big wake. Sometimes it's just a gentle wake. But as you go through your day, as you go through your week, you're leaving a wake behind you. Your, Your sphere of influence, as you go through people during the week, different groups of people, you're going through there. Let me give just give you an example. So let's just say that uh, you get in line for coffee and you have to wait like way longer than you should have to wait. And the people, the person in front of you is taking a really long time to place an order. And you go, can't you figure this out? Come on, I got places to be. I don't really have places to be, but let's just assume I do because I feel like I do, okay? And, and I'm getting, did I say I'm getting? Okay, okay, so... So you, 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 get, you get more and more upset, and then you come to the person at the window, and you say, here's your coffee. Thanks, I had to wait a long time. Bye. <laughs> and you come into church the following week, and you see the person in the window coming right at you, and you go, what do you do? Most of you turn your back and act like, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. But you wouldn't walk up and say, hi, how are you? You just left awake. 
that person had nothing to do with your weight, did they? No. You know, even if they did, so what? That's the rub, isn't it? How do we treat people? So I've, had, I've been asking you, what are traits of a good leader? And if you're a leader, what kind of a leader are you? What kind of wake have you left? Here's one last question for your next step, okay? I've been asking, are you a good leader? Now I'm asking, are you a good follower? Are you a good follower? Jesus, I think he said somewhere, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I've called you to do? Let me change that last part. I just told you how it reads. Let me tell you how I'm applying it. Jesus said, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you follow me? This week, we're going to determine how good of followers we are of him. Stand, let's pray. Help us, Father, because we can't do this without your help. We need your spirit to convict us, call us out. Help us to be discerning so that when we see false teaching, we can understand it and acknowledge it. Help us to show love and openness to people around us that you put around us, in a, I, I believe, in a very sovereign way so they can see the, the light shining, they can see the salt. But Father, help us to um, be a witness of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. Yeah, and help us to be there, Father, for brothers and sisters that we know and care about. And help us to restore them in a gentleness and a love. But yet, Father, help us to this all to be based upon doctrine that we hold very deeply and our obedience to you, doing the hard things sometimes, having the hard conversations. Father, most of all today, I pray that the Spirit will work in each and every one of our hearts where it needs the work done so that this week we'd leave a wake of people who would see Christ and glorify our Father in heaven.